Chapter Fifteen of the Green Rust by Edgar Wallace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Kirsten Weber. The Green Rust by Edgar Wallace. Chapter Fifteen. The Good Hair Start. Where is the rest? said Beale. That's the lot, replied McNorton grimly. It's the only information you will get from this source for twenty-four hours. But I don't understand. It is undoubtedly Miss Cresswell's handwriting. And Velocity is as undoubtedly your telegraphic address. This paper, he went on, was taken from a drunk tramp. Hobo, you call him, don't you? Where? At Kingston-on-Thames, said McNorton. The man was picked up in the street, fighting drunk, and taken to the police station, where he developed delirium tremens. Apparently he has been on the jag all week, and today's booze finished him off. The local inspector, in searching him, found this piece of paper in his pocket, and connected it with the disappearance of Miss Cresswell, the matter being fresh in his mind, as only this morning we had circulated a new description throughout the home counties. He got me on the phone and sent a constable up to town with the paper this afternoon. Hmm, said Beale, biting his lips thoughtfully. She evidently gave the man the telegram, telling him to dispatch it. She probably gave him money, too, which was the explanation of his final drunk. I don't think that is the case, said McNorton. He had one lucid moment at the station when he was cross-examined as to where he got the money to get drunk, and he affirmed that he found it wrapped up in a piece of paper. That sounds true to me. She either dropped it from a car or threw it from a house. Is the man very ill? Pretty bad, said the other. You will get nothing out of him before the morning. The doctors had to dope him to get him quiet and he will be some time before he is right. He looked up at the other occupants of the room. Well, Parson, you are helping Mr. Beale, I understand? Yes, said the other easily. Returning to your old profession, I see, said McNorton. Parson Homo drew himself up a little stiffly. If you have anything against me, you can pull me for it, he said insolently. That's your business. As to the profession I followed before I started on the career of crime, which brought me into contact with the crude representatives of what is amusingly called the law, is entirely my affair. Don't get your wool off, parson, said the other good-humouredly. You have lost your sense of humour. That's where you are wrong, said Homo coolly. I have merely lost my sense of decency. McNorton turned to the other. "'What are you going to do?' he asked. "'I am imprisoned at Dean's,' repeated Beale. "'What Dean's have you in this country?' "'There are a dozen of them,' replied the police chief. "'There's a Dean's Gate in Manchester, Deanston in Perth, Deansborough, Dean's Abbey. I've been looking them all up. There is a whole crowd of them.' "'Are there any deans near Kingston?' "'None,' replied the other. "'Then it is obviously the name of a house,' said Beale. 
I have noticed that in England you are in the habit of naming rather than numbering your houses, especially in the suburbs. He looked across to Parson Homo. Can you help? The man shook his head. If I were a vulgar burglar, I might assist you, he said. But my branch of the profession does not take me to the suburbs. We will get a Kingston directory and go through it, said McNorton. We have one on the file at Scotland Yard. If Beale suddenly raised his hand to enjoin silence, he had heard a familiar step in the corridor outside. That's Van Herden, he said in a low voice. He has been out all the morning. Has he been shadowed? asked McNorton in the same tone. My man lost him, he said. He tiptoed along the passage and stood listening behind the door. Presently he heard the doctor's door close and came back. I have had the best sleuth in America trailing him, he said, and he has slipped him every time. Anyway, said McNorton, this telegram disposes of the idea that she has gone to Liverpool. It also settles the question as to whether she went of her own free will. If his name were on that telegram, he said thoughtfully, I would take a risk and pull him in. I will give you something bigger to pull him for, said Beale. Once I have placed Miss Cresswell in safety. The green rust, smiled the police chief. The green rust, said Beale, but he did not smile. That's Van Herden's big game. The abduction of Miss Cresswell is merely a means to an end. He wants her money and may want it very badly. The more urgent is his need, the sooner that marriage takes place. But there's no clergyman in England who would marry them. It was Homo who interrupted. My dear friend, that sort of thing is not done except in story-books. If the woman refuses her consent, the marriage cannot possibly occur. As I understand, the lady is not likely to be cowed. That is what I am afraid of, said Beale. She is all pluck. He stopped, for he had heard the doctor's door close. In three strides he had crossed the hallway and was in the corridor, confronting his suave neighbor. Dr. Van Herden, carefully attired, was pulling on his gloves and smiled into the stern face of his rival. Well, he asked pleasantly, any news of Miss Cresswell? If I had any news of Miss Cresswell, you would not be here, said Beale. But how interesting, drawled the doctor. Where should I be? You would be under lock and key, my friend, said Beale. The doctor threw back his head and laughed softly. What a lover, he said, and how reluctant to accept his dismissal. It may ease your mind to know that Miss Cresswell, whom I hope very soon to call Mrs. Van Herden, is perfectly happy and is very annoyed at your persistence. I had a telegram from her this morning, begging me to come to Liverpool at the earliest opportunity. That is a lie, said Beale quietly, but one lie more or less, I suppose, doesn't count. A thoroughly immoral view to take, said the doctor with much severity. But I see there's nothing to be gained by arguing with you, and I can only make one request. 
Beale said nothing, but stood waiting. "'It is this,' said the doctor, choosing his words with great care, "'that you call off the gentleman who has been dogging my footsteps to-day. It was amusing at first, but now it is becoming annoying. Some of my patients have been complaining of this man watching their houses.' "'You've not seen a patient to-day, Van Herden,' said Beale, "'and, anyway, I guess you had better get used to being shadowed. "'It isn't your first experience.' "'The doctor looked at him under lowered lids and smiled again. "'I could save your man a great deal of trouble,' he said, "'and myself considerable exertion by giving him a list of the places where I intend calling.' "'He will find that out for himself,' said Beale. "'I wish him greater success than he has had,' replied the other, and passed on, descending the stairs slowly. Beale went back to his flat, passed to his bedroom, and looked down into the street. He made a signal to a man at the corner and received an almost imperceptible answer. Then he returned to the two men. This fellow is too clever for us, I am afraid, and London, with its tubes, its underground stations, and taxicabs, is a pretty difficult proposition. I suppose your man lost him in the tube, said McNorton. There are two ways down, the elevator and the stairs, and it is mighty difficult to follow a man unless you know which way he is going. But you were interrupted at an interesting moment. What are you going to tell us about the green rust? "'I can only tell you this,' said Beale, "'that the Green Rust is the greatest conspiracy against the civilized world that has ever been hatched.' He looked sharply at Homo. "'Don't look at me,' said the parson. "'I know nothing about it, unless—' He stopped and frowned. "'The Green Rust,' he repeated. "'Is that the old man Hyla's secret?' "'He's in it.' said Beale shortly. Is it a swindle of some kind? asked the parson curiously. It never struck me that Hyla was that kind of man. There is no swindle in it so far as Hyla is concerned, said Beale. It is something bigger than a swindle. A telephone bell rang, and he took up the receiver and listened, only interjecting a query or two. Then he hung up the instrument. It is as I thought, he said. The doctor's slipped again, had a car waiting for him in Oxford Street, and when he saw there were no taxicabs about, jumped in and was driven eastward. Did you get the number of the car? asked McNorton. Beale smiled. That's not much use, he said. He's probably got two or three number plates. He looked at his watch. I'll go along to Kingston, he said. "'I shan't be able to come with you,' said McNorton. "'I have a meeting with the commissioner at five. "'Before you go,' remarked Beale, "'you might put your signature to this declaration of my bona fides.' "'He laid on the table a blue foolscap blank. "'What's this?' asked the surprised McNorton. "'An application for a special license. "'Are you going to be married?' "'I hope so.' said the other cautiously. "'You don't seem very cheerful about it. I presume you want me to testify to the urgency of the case. I am probably perjuring myself.' 
he signed his name with a flourish. "'When are you getting the license, and what's the hurry?' "'I am getting the license to-morrow,' said Beale. "'And the lady's name is?' "'I thought you had noticed it,' smiled the other, deftly blotting and folding the form. "'Not Miss Cresswell,' demanded the police chief, in surprise. "'Miss Cresswell it is. "'But I thought—' "'There are circumstances which may be brought to your official notice, McNorton,' said the detective. "'For the present it is necessary to keep my plan a secret.' "'Has it anything to do with the green rust?' asked the other, jokingly. "'A great deal to do with the green rust.' "'Well, I'll get along,' said McNorton. "'I will telephone the Kingston police to give you all the assistance possible.' but I am afraid you will learn nothing from the tramp till the morning, and perhaps not then. He took his leave soon after. Now, Homo, it is up to you and me, said Beale. You will have to keep close to me after tomorrow. Make yourself at home here until I come back. One moment, said Homo, as Beale rose and gathered up his hat and gloves to depart. "'Before you go, I want you to understand clearly that I am taking on this job because it offers me a chance that I haven't had since I fell from grace, if you will excuse the cliché.' "'That I understand,' said Beale. "'I may be doing you a very bad turn.' "'I'll take that risk,' said Beale. "'On your own head be it.' said Homo, his hard face creased in a fleeting smile. Beale's car was waiting, but his departure was unexpectedly delayed. As he passed down the stairs into the vestibule, he saw a stranger standing near the door, reading the enameled nameplates affixed to the wall. Something in his appearance arrested Beale. The man was well-dressed, in the sense that his clothes were new and well-cut, but the pattern of the cloth, no less than the startling yellowness of the boots, and that unmistakable sign-manual of the foreigner, the shape and color of the cravat, stamped him as being neither American nor British. "'Can I be of any assistance?' asked Beale. "'Are you looking for somebody?' The visitor turned a pink face to him. "'You are very good.' he said, with the faint trace of an accent. "'I understand that Dr. Van Hadden lives here.' "'Yes, he lives here,' said Beale, "'but I am afraid he is not at home.' He thought it might be a patient, or a summons to a patient. "'Not at home,' the man's face fell. "'But how unfortunate! Could you tell me where I can find him? My business is immediate, and I have come a long way.' "'From Germany,' guessed Beale. The mail train was due at Charing Cross half an hour before. I am a friend of Dr. Van Herden, and possibly I can assist you. Is the business very important? Does it concern, he hesitated, the green rust? He spoke the last sentence in German, and the man started, and looked at him with mingled suspicion and uncertainty. It is a matter of the greatest importance, he repeated. It is of vital importance, he spoke in German. About the green rust, asked Beale, in the same language. I do not know anything of the green rust, said the man hurriedly. 
I am merely the bearer of communication which is of the greatest importance. He repeated the words, the greatest importance. If you give me the letter, said Beale, I will see that it is sent on to him, and he held out his hand with the assurance of one who shared the dearest secrets of the doctor. The stranger's hand wandered to his breast pocket, but came back empty. No, it must be given, I must see the doctor himself, he said. He does not expect me, and I will wait. Beale thought quickly. Well, perhaps you will come upstairs to my flat and wait, he said genially, and led the way. And the man, still showing evidence of uneasiness, was ushered into his rooms, where the sight of the Reverend Parson Homo tended to reassure him. Would he have tea? He would not have tea. Would he take coffee? He would not take coffee. A glass of wine, perhaps? No, he did not drink wine nor beer, nor would he take any refreshment whatever. My man, thought the desperate Beale, I either chloroform you or hit you on the head with the poker, but I am going to see that letter. As if divining his thought, but placing thereon a wrong construction, the man said, I should avail myself of your kindness to deliver my letter to Dr. Van Harden, but of what service would it be, since it is only a letter introducing me to the good doctor? Oh, is that all? said Beale, disappointed. And somehow he knew the man spoke the truth. That is all, he said, except, of course, my message, which is verbal. My name is Stadt. You may have heard the doctor speak of me. We have some correspondence. Yes, yes, I remember, lied Beale. The message is for him alone, of course, as you will understand. And if I deliver it to you, smiled Herr Stadt, you should not understand it, because it is one word. One word, said Beale blankly. A code. Hang. End of chapter 15 Recorded by Kirsten Weber.